my weekly fix, Macca, on a Sunday morning. Good morning and welcome to the program and good morning to Hermit's Peak. <laughs> Hermit's Peak. I was out um, the other day in an industrial suburb and I was lost and I came across the um, postman there. His name was Shane. He works out of Wetherill Park. He's a lovely bloke. And Shane, if you're listening, um, thank you very much for your help and pointing me in the right direction. Just an ordinary little Aussie out there doing a great job. And it doesn't matter whether you're a prime minister or delivering the mail or driving a bus or driving a train or driving a truck or whatever you're doing, it's an important job and they're all important. And I was just so impressed with Shane. He was just a nice, nice young fella and he works out of Wetherill Park. Um, lots of things. Jamie Lansdowne says, Roma Carumba is open and across through Georgetown to Cairns, Port Douglas is open. The Variety Bash won't be held up. Uh, we had a call earlier from uh, Kenny. He was talking about the Variety Cub. They'd just done a, a recce and some of the roads were closed, but he said that uh, Jamie Lansdowne says uh, it'll all be right for the... Um, for the Variety Club bash, which I think is late July. Highest temperature for Hobart, 39 degrees, followed by snow for Tassie, midweek. Uh, the heat supported fires for Gippsland, then snow at Mount Borbor. A southerly buster not only caused 10 to 15 degrees temperature drops for Tassie, New South Wales and Victoria. It also supported dust storms in the central west near Forbes and storms and hail in Sydney, plus heavy rainfalls in the northern rivers with Lismore 76 mils. Uh, 21 mils at Gundagai, they'd have loved that. In WA, isolated storms in the Kimberley during the week. Uh, in the southwest, Somme Creek, 40 mils. Bridgetown, 39 mils. Late storms this Saturday stretch from Canamble, Coonabarabra and Quirindai, Tamworth, Scone, Tari to the coast. There you go, uh, says Mike Griffin, who is struggling with computer problems. <laughs> uh, Margot says, you mentioned winter sun fruit. I saw the truck this morning on the way to get the coffee. They're based in Shepparton. Last week you spoke of the Brisbane line. Tokenwall had the airport built by Americans for the Brisbane line. Bob Brown tells the most amazing story of the Brisbane line. We have taken the Cadillac Car Club there twice. Bring your tape recorder in. Not to be missed, says Margot. Thank you, Margot. And Daryl Sharp says, Macca, where at Will Gulga this morning? We've been talking about Will Gulga this morning. Um, Marshall rang from Will Gulga and he said he can't believe how short we are of tradespeople. Not one or two or ten or twenty, he said thousands. We're short of thousands of tradespeople in Australia and we should be encouraging more people to take a trade rather than go to uni. Um we're at Walgulga at the moment, says Daryl Sharp, caravanning, uh, where the water temperature is 23 to 24. It's so good and been the same all the way up and down this part of the coast. We're on the coast hop. So after here, we're off to Yamba, southwest rocks, then home to Newcastle. Keep it happening, says Daryl. Good on you, Daz. <coughs> uh, 1300 two. that's our number. Uh, on the program this morning, in a little while, we'll talk about Les Carlion, who passed away last week. Great journalist was Les, lovely bloke, lovely bloke, many men, only a couple of times. Um, and uh, Greek cafes and you. Uh, g'day, this is Macca. Morning, Macca. How are we? Good. I'm on the road. I'm just passing the Narnagoon turn-off, heading to Garfield North, where the uh, Bunyip fire went through. Oh, uh, right. To a, Terrible to fires. A mate, oh, to, uh, to a mate's farm. We were... Only allowed in there uh, yesterday, so I was able to get some. I'm a plumber, and I was able to get some water to a couple of his lower paddocks, and I'm heading back there this morning 
to uh, to get some water on another couple of paddocks for him. But um, I can't tell you the weather because it's just a smoke haze. Mm. You got the sun sort of trying to poke through, but it's just just a smoke haze. A uh, lot, da- lot of damage down there. People have told me about that. And I think 29 or 30 homes dis- destroyed and hundreds of, oh. ca- hundreds of k's of fencing and horses oh. and cattle wandering about because there's no fences. And, and Blaze Aid want, uh, want a lot of help too. They want a lot of vols. So um, while you're there, Tony, I'll just say, tell people you can Google Blaze Aid and you'll find them there if you can help them with uh, poles and fences and all that, posts and wires and all that sort of stuff. And, or, um, and they've got... Uh, branches everywhere the up in north queensland i think they're on 80 properties up there around julia creek etc and they need volunteers and and if you're going uh, north this winter that'd be um there's plenty to do and there's plenty to do down in victoria and i think where else are they doing it around um Burua, there's uh see there's been fires all over the place tony hasn't there yeah yeah well what, what i rang up mate was um the fire is where they went they fighting the fire the, the fire hit his farm on four sides and he was on one side of the house, and his partner was on the other. And the fireys had got in there, and it got it got that bad that they took off. And um, so he's there with his wife, and the, the bloody helicopter fire pilots, unbelievable. They dumped three big lots of water on his head, and that stopped the house from going and saved his life. <laughs> and um, and they dumped another on, on top of his partner's head, and that saved the other side of the house. And, and the... the like he had all his horses in in the house and cattle and all his chickens and everything. It's just those blokes were just unbelievable, and they need to be um, honoured. Those fellas, because everyone took off apart from that, that chopper pilot. He was unbelievable. Isn't that great? That's a lovely. Otherwise, you otherwise you wouldn't be here. He was blessed from the air, mate. <laughs> yeah, he was very very lucky. So Tony, you're heading down there again today? Yeah, just to. Get some water on some uh, lower paddocks for him. And I suppose he's not the only bloke that's in need either. Oh, God, no, no. See, some of the stories are just shocking. Mm. And it's only an hour from the city. An hour from the city. Well, it's a bit a bit the same as the, the Black Saturday fires. That wasn't that far from Melbourne either, was it? No, no, no. So, anyway, I just thought I'd um, let you know. And those chopper pilots, wherever he was, you're a legend. Yeah, well, we'll try and find out what his name is, Tony. Tony, um, so you're a plumber in Melbourne? Yeah, yeah. And uh, how's business? I suppose you're busy all the time. Oh, yeah, well, I'm for the old gas and fuel day, so I, but I do a heap of gas work and hot water and air conditioning, so that's that's plenty, but uh, no, I just, just want to get up and help him up, help him out a bit. Well, good on you, and that's what okay. I, I think all, all uh, Australians, if they can lend a hand in some way, either by sending some money or... Um, uh, to get down and just help Blaze Aid, or there's plenty of people. Hay drops, all those sort of things will be needed uh, around there and all over Australia. What is? It's been a, a summer. It hasn't stopped really, has it, Tony? There's drought everywhere, and there's fires everywhere, and and up in the north there's those horrible floods. So, anyway, yeah. we'll, we'll get through it. Yeah, especially, thanks, spe- thanks, especially with blokes like you, chopper pilot, mate. Thanks, mate. Good I'll on see you. you. See Bye. you. Bye. This morning I wanted to pay a tribute really to Les Carlyon, who I spoke to, I think it was at the Plough Hotel, and it was on Remembrance Day, But um, and I spoke to, uh, I think 2001, Les Carlyon, a mighty journalist, a, uh, and a lovely bloke, and a great voice. He had a, 
I, I just, when you talked about it, he had a great voice. It's almost like he's a radio person very, and a calming sort of voice. I spoke to him about lots of things, but this is a little grab of him talking about the Melbourne Cup because um, horse racing was one of his passions. Although he's a, a great journalist and an editor and, and an author, he was speaking about here about uh, the Melbourne Cup and we started talking about horses. And uh, just, here's a little grab of Les Carlyne. I just think it's one of the great Australian days, Ian. It, I mean, it's, uh, there's not a lot of sense to it. It's not the greatest horse race in Australia. I think the Cox Plate probably is. But mm. there is no day, I don't think, in Australian sport like the Melbourne Cup. Mm. And you've been going since when? I saw McDougal win, I think, in '56. I can still remember the mud flying in the air, and it's changed a lot since then, but it's just one of those days you wouldn't miss. It seems to be very much corporatised now, but does it still belong to uh, the ordinary bloke? Yeah, you're right, it is corporatised, but yeah, it does, because there's only so many corporates, and you do see all these funny fellows in black suits getting smashed and, and handing out tips and everything else, but you also see the kid who goes dressed as the Pope, uh, and the 19 kids who go dressed as Elvis, and the 16 blokes who go dressed as nuns, and, you know, they just have a hell of a time, and you'll see them walking along uh, the street every year, I think, the cups run, because it's just the place to be. You look at horses a bit like people. Do you fancy yourself, how have you gone over the years in, in picking? How, how many winners would you have picked in the 40 years or so? At a, at a guess, probably 20%, Ian. I'm, I'm only guessing, you know, but probably at a guess... That's about... pretty good. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, I picked Saintly a few years ago. I thought he was a, he was a Monty, and uh, uh, Let's was another one I, I picked and I was, I was very happy about. But, oh, I don't know, maybe maybe 20% if you're lucky. I mean, it's a handicap. You've got to remember this. And because it's a handicap, any one of 24 can win. You still enjoy it, going? Oh, yeah, I, I love going. Uh, it gets harder each year because there seem to be more drunks, but... Uh, mm. That, that's true of sport everywhere, isn't it? Mm. But uh, you wouldn't miss it. You wouldn't miss it. That's the late uh, Les Carlyne, who sadly passed away last last week. It's a Monty. He had those turns of phrase. Oh, loved Les Carlyne. I didn't know him very well at all, but a bloke who did know him is on the line, a former race caller, uh, Brian Martin. Uh, good morning, Brian. Morning, Maker. How are you? Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm well, thank you. Um, st- still a great deal of sadness with uh, Les's passing. Um, he's he's left a marvellous legacy uh, in his writings, um, you know, particularly about um, uh, Gallipoli with uh, and a magnificent uh, book, in, uh, the Gallipoli book, which uh, came out about uh, 10, 12 years ago. He followed that up with The Great War, um, talking about the, the Anzacs, uh, the Australian and New Zealand soldiers that went, of course, across to Europe and so many were lost. And um, You know, he was, he was an amazing writer, but, uh, but a great man, a great man. And my, my association, of course, comes through horse racing and there were none finer. No. None for a lovely bloke, and I really enjoyed. As I said, I only met him a couple of times because you know he lived in Melbourne and I lived in Sydney, and um, passing through. But we uh, had a couple of great yarns, and he was always engaging and had a great voice uh, too, uh, Brian. I, I thought um, lovely, sort of. I don't know how you describe it, but um, and use words like "oh yeah, it was a Monty," you know. I thought uh, saying yeah. it was a Monty. <laughs> <laughs> which is, is probably a, a word that's gone out of the lexicon now. The, I'm not sure many people would know what it means, but uh, younger people. But um, great, great Australian uh, uh, words and things like that. But but Les was uh, he was just a, a, a great writer, wasn't he? A great writer and had a way with words. And I suppose he grew up like that. And uh, you, you've known him a long time. And on Tuesday, uh, his uh, memorial service at Flemington. Is that right? 
Yes, and it's appropriate that uh, it is at Flemington. I just heard that grab before when you were talking with him about the, the Melbourne Cup. He loved Flemington. He loved he loved the roses at the Flemington race course and the beautiful elm trees and the long drive down the Members Drive. And he... Uh, it was a, it was a different world for, for Les when he went to Flemington, and he wrote about Flemington and, and everything that happened at Flemington, particularly the Melbourne Cup, so so absolutely uh, brilliantly. Um, and you know, he, he, you spoke before about uh, corporates. He wasn't he wasn't a corporate man. You know, if you said to Les, uh, "Do you want to go to the uh, the chairman's club at Flemington?" He wouldn't know where that was. He'd rather have two party pies in the media room and then <laughs> go down to stall fifty six and try and work out what that. Um, what that right, was Mick Price is putting on that horse and watching the horses walk, and uh, that's that's what just made him so unique uh, as a person and unassuming, very humble. But one of the great legacies, really, uh, Macker, is the fact that he he uh, he's helped so many people. He's he's mentored so many um, you know people, boys and girls that wanted to write uh, about anything uh, in, in the journalistic field and. There'd be people listening this morning that uh, it would touch an accord with them because that's that's what Les was so good at. And, uh, gee, he's going to be sadly missed. And his work is, you know, people put him up there with Banjo Patterson and Adam Lindsay Corden, and, and he was. Uh, and racing, racing very much was a winner because we uh, we shared his, uh, his words. It was just fabulous. Yeah, I... <laughs> I read his forward to that the great game of racing or whatever it was called a book about that where he wrote about Les Boots and um, we all got the giggles about that <laughs> and he said you know he just said well racing's about you know we, the Melbourne Cup and everything but it's really about it's not about winning because not everybody wins uh, as you know um, there's one winner and 16 losers in a race <laughs> and he just wrote about Les who kept falling off the horse and uh, in in, a, in a, just a lovely way and, and we learned to love uh, Les Boots, who fell off, and, and also Les Carlion, who just wrote so well and lovingly, really, about what he 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 loved the Australian way, didn't he? He said to me yeah. about Steve. He says, oh, "No soldiers there." He said he they had those gimlet eyes like Steve War um, when he was, <laughs> when he's describing the the soldiers that went to Gallipoli and uh, yeah. the Western Front. Um, yeah. He just really got inside it too, and, and uh, tried to work out Bart Cummings, which is no easy deal when he wrote the book about him. Yes, he did. The Master, the book called The Master, which was absolutely brilliant. And, and books like uh, True Grit, which I think has still been sort of redone and redone over 25 years, never goes out of print, such as The Demand. Chasing a Dream was another one that I was associated with him back in the, the mid-80s. But I remember the great horse, Tullock. Uh, I, I remember, just remember Tullock as a kid, and you're probably the same. But when Tullock won the, uh, the Cox Plate in the late 50s, Les wrote, he knew Tullock had won, but he watched the race from the North Hill. That's on the home turn. And he said he knew Tullock had won because the hats went in the air. That's when men wore hats. And he said all these hats, hundreds of hats went in the air. So it was obvious that Tullock had got up to win the Cox Plate. Yeah, isn't that great? Now, listen, tell me what happens on Tuesday. What time is that at Flemington? And can uh, anyone go? Certainly is open to the public. It's in the atrium, which is in the uh, centre grandstand. You'll, you'll be able to find it very easily. They're expecting close to a thousand people, and and why wouldn't we? Uh, with the lives that Les Carlin has touched, it's a, it's a public uh, service open to everyone. Starting at noon at Flemington, and a private burial at uh, Springvale will follow. But uh, we we really look forward to seeing people there because uh, Les entertained and um, just gave gave Australian. Uh, journalism, uh, Australian writing, every subject just so much. And um, he's a one-off a champion man, great human being and uh, sadly missed. And did you say the Governor-General was going? And 
Also, I believe uh, Sir Peter Cosgrave will be there. Uh, the State uh, Governor-General, I believe, will be there. John Howard, I'm pretty sure, is going to attend. So a lot of dignitaries, but uh, probably more importantly, people that um, probably didn't meet Les along the way, but knew his writings from, uh, from the newspapers here in Melbourne and around Australia, and the books, the books that he wrote too. And uh, one thing that, uh, talking to Denise, his wife, uh, just on Friday, she said... Um, just a couple of weeks ago, you know, Les was uh, ailing and, and fading pretty quickly. And he said to uh, Denise, darling, I think I've got one good book left in me. <laughs> and I said, said to Denise, um, what was it? What she a little possum. Yeah, I said, what, what was the subject? Uh, she said, I'm not sure. I think it might have been military, but I, I don't know. And another thing that Denise said to me and, and really strikes home, she said, Les is probably a man that was entitled to two lifetimes. That's probably right too. Yeah, he had he had such a, a, a such a respect for the ordinary Australian, didn't he? Mm. Which um, which shone through, and and oh, because yes. I I suspect. Uh, that's where he, he, he got his stories and he realised that that's where the real stories of Australia are, just amongst the blokes you're rubbing shoulders with on the tram or on the, on the bus or whatever or in the street. And, you know, Maka, for a man who's probably had uh, close to 50 years in the, in the newspaper world and, and journalistic side of the, of the world, I've never seen a person like this that's so highly acclaimed by his peers, but also even people that wrote for other papers. So just it's a, it's a mark of a man. And um, I think that's, you know, just, just where it sits. That it's magnificent that we, and we can, we will celebrate a great life, a fabulous life on Tuesday. And we're looking forward to that. Yeah. Our hearts will be heavy, but uh, this man, Les Carlyle was just a special human being. I'll say, and Brian, you're the celebrant there at uh, Melbourne. Uh, everybody's invited, and uh, I know you'll do a marvellous job. And it'll be, it'll be, it'll be a great celebration of people who, who have like mind. And no, that his book Gallipoli it really started, restarted. Um, I've got a little piece here now about um, talking about the book Gallipoli, but um, it really restarted, uh, I suppose, um, Australia's uh, re um, recognising uh, what happened in uh, in the uh, First World War and in Australia, and of course you can see with the re- the result now, uh, you know, yeah. uh, yes. years later. It uh, it does, and it takes us back to what what re- the real meaning of Gallipoli, and and through his eyes, it was just uh, it was wonderful that he. It's a project that he took on, and he was so passionate about it. And the Great War book followed, but uh, thank thank God that we have that that sort of as as the guide and and the reference now. That's that's another great legacy. Good on you, Brian. Good luck, and uh, thanks for talking to us this morning. Good on you. Thank you, Megan. Ray's in Lakes Entrance. Good morning, Ray. Yeah, morning, Mac. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, I'm up, up at the lookout there, top of lakes, and it's got a stainless steel disc here pointing out oil and gas platforms, 18 of them. Uh-huh. It, it overlooks the river mouth and the entrance to the Gippsland Lakes and the beginning of a 90-mile beach. Yeah, and oh, what a fabulous place. Um, um, Bass Strait, sort of at the entrance of Bass Strait, isn't it really? The start of Bass Strait, is that right? That, that's it. It's got a sign here, Tasmania, one one hundred and seventy-one nautical miles. There you go. And then it's got all the platforms: tuna, thirty-seven flounder, marlin, snapper, kingfisher, whiting, and then the, and the directional arrows. You can see a few of the lights. Sure now. I was I was looking at um that part of the coast last night for some reason um, uh, in a map and looking at uh, is it Crowerjing along National Park along there somewhere. 
Yeah, there's somewhere. I'm not exactly sure where it is. I've come down from Melbourne this morning to have a look at the property here myself. What, to, you're going to go and live there, are you? Oh, I want to retire in this area in about five years. I'm a truckie in Melbourne and, yeah, 57. I want to kick back in a few years' time. Yeah, I've got a mate who's a truckie in Melbourne. Um, he tells me uh, the traffic's uh, unbelievable. Oh, I've been doing it 20 years there, mate. You just can't believe how it's just gone crazy. Yeah, well... The time they get these new tunnels done, they'll be needing another set of tunnels, mate. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Yeah, and when you get out of when you get out of town, you realise that there is another life, isn't there, you know? Yeah, I grew up on a farm out in southern New South Wales, down Bega, Eden area. It's nice to it's 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 nice to live in a big city, but I don't know why we have to follow every other big city around the world, you know. And I know we're not big at all, you know, in Melbourne and Sydney, compared to say Mexico City or Jakarta or New Delhi or any other, you know, or New York or whatever. But why do we want to be that big? I mean, people have the same problems there too, and yeah, and, and we we we're just continually playing catch-up, you know. We yeah. should be looking at a city that's got 20 million people already living there and, and functions properly. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, we're, we're always chasing our tail when it comes to that. Yeah, and you're near, you're not far from Marlow, are you, which is a nice place. That's where the Snowy River comes out onto the coast, doesn't it? That's it, that's it. That's only about a 30-minute oh, drive from here. Yeah, so, I mean, that's got a lot of things going for it around there, isn't it? Oh, oh, no wonder you, no The lake one. system, you can just see for... 20Ks, I suppose. Yeah. And it's just, there's boats everywhere. Probably 50, 60 boats I've seen go out this morning. Oh, Ray, uh, yeah, good luck with that, mate. Keep in touch and let us know. So when do you reckon you're going to retire? 62, five years' time. Five years' time. Yep. All right, yeah. That's the plan. And who do you drive for? I drive for Cube Holdings. They took over what was P&O Trans originally. Uh Started with them 13 years ago. And so what sort of things do you carry? Things off boats or what? Containerised freight. Yeah. And these days they bought out Patrick's, the stevedore inside of it, with a Canadian company. They've got trains and do everything, you know, grain and cotton from up north. They bring it all down in, and then we containerise it and put it on the ships. So you're a busy boy, Ray? Yeah. The truck I drive, take two 40-foot containers or 420s and gross 117 tonne around the wharf. There you go. And being in Lakes Entrance up on top of the lookout this morning, uh, you could be anywhere. And, and you couldn't get the air any cleaner or fresher. Yes, exactly. The star's still out, Ray? Oh, they're just disappearing now. She's breaking day. Yeah. Picking in, picking any dawn, they call it, Ray. That's the one. Good on you, mate. Take care. Good show, buddy. Thanks, mate. Bye. Bye. Marshall's in Woolgoolga, which is... Uh, New South Wales, up in the far north coast, fairly far north coast. Good morning, Marshall. Good morning, Macca. This is my first time I've phoned you. I've been listening to you for years, mm. and I've just some reason I just decided to give you a quick call. <laughs> for, some, <laughs> for some reason, yep. Go on. Yeah, don't ask me why, but I thought you gave me that number, so Dan, I'll give you a ring to say good day to you because we, you're, my partner and I love your show. We've been listening to it for way over 10 or 15 years. Actually, we'll Google it's one of the sweet spots of the world, uh, Macca. It's not too hot, not too cold, and it's not too humid. I'll tell you what I reckon. <laughs> when I swam at Morgulga a couple of times, I found the water very cold. <laughs> I don't know why, but it seemed, I thought, God, this is freezing. But anyway. 
Yeah, look, I'm from out west originally, from Narrabri. Mm. Uh, that's my hometown, but I, I love it over here now. I'm sort of, uh, I'm an invalid now. Mm. I'm semi-crippled. I had an operation on a knee and it went wrong. I damaged my nerve system. But uh, look, what I'm ringing up about, if you don't mind. No. We have a huge problem in Australia, it's in my area, in the trades. We can't attract good young apprenticeships into our trades because the way the mindset now is everybody to send their Tommy and Mary to university, even though they might only get a mediocre pass. You know? Yep. Uh, we, we're short. We're not just short of tradesmen in small numbers. We're short in the tens of thousands. And I find that appalling because in the West, if you do a trade now, like I own a smash repair shop, and, and, and it's not hard to make over $100,000 a year. Um, in a in a bush town, now that's not a huge fortune, but it's enough for the young bloke or girl to stay in the town to marry, buy, buy, buy a house and raise a family and have a decent holiday, and now and again travel overseas. So it's not a bad lifestyle. So I think if some politicians would just to help promote the trades a lot more than what they're doing at the moment, I, I would really I appreciate think they're tr- I think they're trying to do that. I think they're trying to do that, and. Um, as a university graduate, I can tell you that um, I think it, uh, uh, a university course, unless you're doing something that's really specific, can be, um, uh, well, I don't know, a waste of time. I look back on my time at uni and although I had a nice time, I think, um, yeah, there's, uh, there's yeah, I, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not really enamoured of university anymore because uh, I, I don't think um, uh, you can, I think you can, look, I, I think you can leave school at 16 um, as long as you can read and write and make make your way in life, and certainly one way to do that is with a trade. And uh, yeah, but today, this day and age, though, we really need them with, with at least the, the school certificate, even a year twelve with with the mathematics and science. Because even in our trade now, we need we're utilising computers. And, like I started my shop as a young boy, and I'm seventy three, and we have a three million dollar complex in the bush. There's a lot of us sophisticated equipment now. Yeah, it's all changed. I have, a, I have a shop with a tile floor. Our shop is spotlessly clean, so it's not a dirty trade anymore. No, I know. I know. I, I, I used to go a, a bloke, and I couldn't believe it. It was all sparkling, spotless. It's like being in a surgery. Yeah. We, some people think we're in a four-star motel and they walk <laughs> into my shop. <laughs> but, but look, I, look, look I, I digress. Look, I, I love your, your show. We look forward to it every Sunday morning, and we say, hey, wake up the Macca. Come on, Sunday. <laughs> So Good. keep it up. We, we, really, we really do love you. I'm 73, and my partner, my lovely princess, turns 77 tomorrow. So wow. I'll just call it home. Good on you, Marshall. I'll come up to Woolgoolga, but I'll have to wear a wetsuit, mate. The water's cold there, by God. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome any time you know that, Macca. Bye. Good Bye. on you. Bye. Bye. G'day, this is Macca. Hi, this is Charlie. Uh, I just pulled over on the side of the road. I'm on the way through Bundaberg, and I'm heading up to Cairns and putting my little car on the Sea Swift um, barge around to Weeper. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. I'd like to do that. That's uh, fantastic, <laughs> Charlie. What are you, you going to do, work in Weeper? I'm actually working in Weeper at the moment. Mm. Um, I've, I'm working for a company called Embley, Embley Contractors, and um, we're doing the busing on the Amrun project for Rio Tinto for the big bauxite mine that's just opened up there. Oh, wow. Um, and the Embley, there's a river called the Embley too, isn't there? Is that the river at Weeper? Or? That's correct, and it's an Indigenous company. And, um, yeah, so I've been very fortunate to get this job, and it's just amazing because there's four stops, there's the wharf, um, which is the HRT, it's, it's uh, Hay River Terminal, 
um, that's across from the, 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 the Weeper Terminal is called Humbug and then you go across to the Hay River Terminal which is um, where the, you know, the, the mine area is and it's the most amazing 45-kilometre drive from the wharf down to the mine. You should see it is just... We've had so many thunderstorms, um, you know, in the last few weeks that when I got there a month ago, it was just absolutely superb. Mm. And there's wild cattle that all live around the road. So what they've actually done is they've cleared probably about 150 metres all the way right from the wharf to the mine it's the most beautiful highway. I drive a 55-seater bus with hardly any traffic <laughs> with, four, with four stops. So we go from the Hay River Terminal. Um, it's about 35 k's to the village. You turn right, you go into the village. There's probably about, I'm not too sure how many people are in the village now, probably about 600 or something like that. Um, you come out of the village and then you turn right and you go up to the Rio Ops and e- e- um, ECPM. That's the other two stops and that's it. That's the run. Wow, isn't that it'd be it'd be fantastic? I'd love to I'd love to see that. We we're, we're in Weeper doing our program. Look, I'm not sure. Uh, Fifteen years ago, um, yeah. But they, that mine wouldn't have been open then, would it? No, no. This has only just been built. Um, it, it really only well, actually, Anastasia Palaszczuk was up there on Friday and opened it. Uh huh. There you go. So it's it's uh, yeah, it's been in the it's been built over the last couple of years. That you know, this is the new the new part of it anyway. Charlie, but, um, where are you from? Are you from Bundaberg? You said you're in Bundaberg now, or you're just driving through Bundaberg? I'm just driving through Bundaberg. No, actually, I've got a really interesting story, so I'll, I'll gloss over it quickly for you. I'm, <laughs> I'm 55 years of age, but when I was 14, I lived in Cowra, and um, I joined a rock band, would you believe, much to the disdain of my mother, who was absolutely horrified, plus my grandmother, but I was classically trained on piano and I also played by ear. So I joined a rock band and I was in the band for three years and that's where I got the name Charlie because my real name is Colwyn, but no one can ever say Colwyn. <laughs> so at the end of the day, um, I was in this band and then, you know, as you do, you marry the, the guy from your, your local town. So I thought you were going to say you marry the lead singer. No, go no. on. <laughs> No, I was very lucky. They were married and engaged and had girlfriends, so they looked after me. It was very good. Yeah. Um, we went in the Battle of the Sounds in Festival Hall in Melbourne and came second in about 1971, 72, I wow. think it was. What was the name of the band? Yeah. It was actually called the Checkmates, and they originated from Canoundra, and they actually went to Vietnam um, in about, I can't remember what year it was, but they went over to Vietnam to entertain the troops. They were over there for six months. That would be the late 60s or early 70s, yeah, I suppose. It would have, yeah. yeah, it would have been. That's right. So yeah. when they came back, they, they split up for about three years and then when they reformed, they decided to keep the same name because they were very popular around the Central West. Uh-huh. So that's how that all happened. But anyway, I got married, moved to Townsville. I was a secretary to the medical superintendent at Townsville General Hospital and I basically, <laughs> I sort of, um, I, I got a bit, um, <laughs> the marriage didn't work out. So I went to Krakow, which is the Krakow where, where the, the gold pub. mine is. Yeah, the pub. I know the pub. Yeah. Yeah. We were, yeah, go on. I, know well, the... I was the cook and I was cooking in the single men's quarters. And there I met my second husband and that's where all my disasters began because he owed hundreds of thousands of dollars and I ended up with breast cancer in the most oh. shock, shocking few years of my life. But you know what? It changed my life because when I left. This is Charlie. Yeah, go on. Yeah, when I left, I, when I left, I actually um, 
ended up, because I'd been in the medical fraternity, I ended up working for one of Australia's top plastic surgeons. And um, anyway, so I had a, a, a reconstruction, a breast reconstruction done by another surgeon in Brisbane. And six weeks later, I started working for this other fellow. And the, the guy in Brisbane who did the reconstruction actually rang my mother and asked if I'd go and work for him. But I was already working for this other fellow. So seven years of that and talking to women about a wrinkle as I was working as a consultant, I was fed up to the back teeth. So guess what I did? I left and I went and ran the pub at Turnpine between Corpy and Targaminda. Of course, as you do. Yeah, go on. Yeah. So. This is Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that for a year and that was amazing because I love cooking. So I ended up having all the road trains coming in off the highway to come and, you know, sample the food and have a great time. That's the way. Um, so, and, so, Charlie, now you're um, heading to Weeper. Yes, uh, yes. And what do you do up there? You drive the bus? Do you cook up there as well? No, no. I drive the bus. I drive the workers to work. That's pretty much what I do. So it's about a nine-hour day. So it's about five days a week, and I have the weekends off in Weeper. Well, it sounds like um, it's a nice spot, Weeper, and, lot, and you get lots of tourists up there, of course, too, don't you? Well, it, yes. And this is a – well, I mean, even though it's the wet season, um, it, the place is looking absolutely beautiful. But unfortunately, when the dry season comes up, it, it, everything dries out, so it doesn't look as nice as what it does now. But um, the wet season hasn't been as wet this year, apparently. Well, not in Darwin, it hasn't been. Uh, it's been. Who was I talking to last week? You said the, it's been a dry wet, if you know what I mean. Oh right. Well, it's, look, it's absolutely fabulous at the moment. It looks. I mean, they've had so much rain, you, and well, you know, yeah, you're look, in Queensland, and that's you had the monsoon there and all that sort of stuff. So, um, but a bit right. further west, they're probably not getting quite as much rain. Anyway. No, no, but it's been raining up there pretty much every day or so, you know. So every every night you probably get another, um, you know, 100 mils or something like that. It's been incredible. Uh, the Embley, eh? Yeah. The River Embley. Lovely, lovely spot. We'll have to get back to Weeper, Charlie, and we'll bump into you. How long have you been there? Um, only a month. So oh, it's, a five, a... it's a five-year contract. But I'll have to ring you back and tell you about when I went on the Marlin boats and cooked on the Marlin boats and ended up... On the and on Thursday Island as a singer entertainer with Eddie Marbo's daughter teaching me pigeon English. Do you... so that, that, that's another story for another day when I'm driving. So you still have you got a piano up there you can play? Um, I've actually got a little keyboard though, but I, I don't have it with me. But I, I do have a little keyboard. I was working on Gina Reinhardt's uh, mine over in Western Australia on the construction phase a couple of years ago, and when I arrived, this I was taking my Taking my, taking my bag to my room, and there's this keyboard sitting outside near the garbage bin. So what did I do? I got the keyboard you and grabbed started all of it, yeah. it. Charlie, yeah, exactly. great to talk to you. Give us a weather report quickly for Bundaberg. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. There's not a cloud in the sky. There's a bit of fog around, and um, it's probably got to be about 22, 23 degrees, I'd say. Good on you, Charlie. Great to talk. Keep in touch. Okay, will do. Thank you. G'day, Macca. Luke here. How are you going? Good, thanks, Luke. That's good. I'm just uh, heading into Mittagong at the moment, um, up from y- uh, Cooma, and I-, I heard earlier uh, one of your listeners asking about what the best brand of milk is to buy. So we've got a dairy up in Camden, and it's a really tough one because all the milk you get in the shops at the moment, the, the fresh milk, comes off an Australian dairy farm. Mm. So if I tell you not to buy one milk, I'm going to be disadvantaging our next-door neighbour. Right. But it's um, what we tell people is, Buy more dairy products. I buy your cheeses that are made here in Australia, your yogurts and your flavoured milks, and and support the local guys. There's like the, you just mentioned, someone up in the Atherton Tablelands buying their local milk, and and that's the guys that you can help. It's all grown locally, and it, it's it's your neighbours and your community you're supporting when you do that. 
buying Australian just generally is a good idea, Luke, isn't it? Oh, 100%. I've just done the, the Kuma showdown there and, and that was a hot topic, just supporting the local community and, and, and you know, buying stuff that is made in Australia. I was at the Dubbo show, no, Dubbo Markets. Look, I don't know when it was, five years ago, and I, I noticed that there were people at the markets that were selling their own milk. Um, I don't know where they were from, but, I mean, is that a much more uh, a thing that's happening now? It is, yeah. Like I, I, Those guys out there, um, Little Dairy Co, they're called, and, they're, yeah, they're popping up everywhere. There's, there's in the Hunter Valley on the south coast. We've got one in Camden. Um, they're, they're popping up everywhere, and... It is. It's all local milk, and it's, it's honestly the freshest milk you're going to buy. It's a bit like craft beer, isn't it? I mean, it's, is that what it's like? Is people are deciding to do their own milk and, and bottle it up and give it a, their own name or whatever? Yeah, that's right. Look, it's not the easiest thing to do because there's obviously a lot of infrastructure and, and, yeah. and regulation that goes into it, but those guys have, have made the leap and, and they've taken the risk and, and they need to, you know, hats off to them for doing it. Exactly. Um Luke, uh, so you've been dairy farming for how long? Um, first generation, so we've had our cows for about 15 years now. Mm. And, um, yeah, we're just, just out of Camden. And we, we sort of, when the, the, it hit the fan a few years ago with all this dollar a litre stuff, we decided we'd, um, we'd travel around with a couple of cows and show people what goes into making their milk. So that's all we've just been doing down at, at, um, at Cooma and giving kids an opportunity to milk some cows. And hopefully they realise... Um, milk doesn't come out of a, a supermarket, and it, it comes from a cow before that. Yeah, and but I see the other thing is, uh, I suppose about that is that if you're in Dubbo or somewhere where there's a market on, you can buy some local milk, or in, up there in Townsville, um, they can buy milk from the Atherton Tablelands. But city people, it's not as readily available. You've got to, you, you know, everybody goes to the supermarkets and gets the same, you know, the same stuff. I mean, I know it's you've got to buy Australian, but. Um, some of these, some of these little milk—they're uh, like craft milks, aren't they? Really? They are. That's exactly right. And they've got—they're putting their own little twists on it, as far as you know. Um, what a lot of them are, you know, becoming the biodynamic and and using regenerative agriculture. And they're doing. Well, there's a little great little one down in the in the south coast, and they're doing gelatos and, and things like that. Um, and they're, you know, they're really changing the tide for the dairy industry, and they're showing that it, it can be done on a small scale. Yeah, and I, and I hope um, city people... I remember I, I spoke um, recently to a lady in France and she said... Um, we were, I, was, I was talking about coffee and, you know, croissants and stuff and cheese and she said, well, look, people here in France, we're in Paris, she said, but we'll drive 50, 60 miles... Yep. And she said, "Miles to get um, to get the favourite bread or the bread to the go to the bakery we like at, and and maybe city people when they realise uh, those sort of things, they'll they won't bother you know driving you know a hundred miles to get their favourite brand of milk or whatever." That's right. And overwhelmingly, the people we talk to tell us they're happy to pay more for their milk as long as they know that that money's going to go back to the farmer, and it's not going to get caught up by some middleman in the middle and. Um, you know, provide someone else with a mega profit. If it goes to the farmer, they're happy to spend the money, but they've just got to, I suppose, be assured that that money is going to go to where they want it to go to. Now you said you're at the, you're from Cooma. Um, you're at no, the. Ca- I'm, yeah, I'm from Camden. Camden, but you yeah. were down at Cooma shows, all right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Do, you, do you go to the big shows? Like, do you go to the Sydney Royal? Yeah, we do. We do a demonstration at Sydney, and we off to Echo this year, and Perth, and wow. Uh, Name it, we travel pretty well. With your cows or just your milk or what? 
No, with the cow, so I've got a, a, one cow and a young calf on at the moment. And um, when we go and do the big shows, we take a team of five cows with us. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, we, we've been doing it for about uh, 11 years now, um, just to try and, I suppose, bring a bit more awareness about where Good. you come from. Good on you, Luke. So you'll be at the Sydney Royal, you'll be at the Ecker, and you're going to the Perth show as well. Yeah. you yeah, little ripper. In spring as well, so we're travelling everywhere. That's our holiday. <laughs> well, good luck to you, Luke, and good on you. I mean, um, more Australians need to um, be aware of the fact that if you buy Australian, you're helping one another and you're helping yourself, really. No, that's exactly right. Good on you, Luke. Good luck, mate. Cheers, mate. Have a good day. See ya. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.